Our scripture reading today is in Numbers, as Stephen gets ready to get us started in Numbers, and the pew books is number, uh, page 137, and I'll, I'll be reading in Numbers 1, 1 through 4, and also 17 through 19. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of a meeting on the first day of the second month. In the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by father's house according to the number of names, every male head by head, from twenty years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. And also 17 through 19. Moses and Aaron took these men who had been named. And on the first day of the second month, they assembled the whole congregation together, whom registered themselves by clans, by father's house according to the numbers of the names from 20 years old and upward, head by head. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so he lifted them in the wilderness of Sinai. And may the Lord add his blessing to these words. If you have your Bible, take it and turn with me to the book of Numbers as we begin a brand new study today. As many of you know, I have longed to be in the book of Numbers with you, not so much because I thought it would be the most exciting book that we could ever get into, but because I've been trying to start Numbers for about three months now. And uh, God has just put it off, put it off in our in our time together, and so I uh, hope that we are ready today to get into this new book, the fourth volume in what we would call the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of your Old Testament, the book of the law, the uh, Hebrews would call it, uh, the Torah. Uh, we call it the Pentateuch, or the five books of Moses. So I want to invite your attention there and to keep your Bibles open because we're going to try to cover first four chapters. Numbers is one of those books that when you get into it and you begin to read, and these were the sons of, and these were the sons of, and the sons of this guy were this many, and, and you start reading all these numbers in verses one, or chapters one through four, many times you start reading numbers and you never get to uh, numbers chapter five. Indeed, there's a 70 to 80 percent of this book that will be narrative, and so we'll be able to talk through what God's doing in, uh, in the life of Israel, uh, but I want to set it in context for us this morning as we come to the book. Now, there's a lot on the sheet that I gave you when you came in that I'm not going to mention uh, this morning, and the reason that I'm not is because I want you to take that home. We're not going to have time to deal with all of that as we meet together here, so uh, you follow along. What we're, gonna, what we're aiming for is to get to those four applications in chapters 1 through 4 as an introduction to of the book of Numbers. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I've told you often that everything goes back to Genesis. If Numbers is the fourth volume in uh, a work of God that begins the Word of God, then you and I need to place it there. And we always go back and understand Genesis. And Genesis begins with God creating all that is. Everything that you see, God has created. He then creates people in His own image. In essence, we are something in us that is like God, that is uh, in the essence of who you are and who I am, reflects God. In our function, in the way that we live, in the way that we relate, in the way that we reason, we also are like God in some way 
functionally. In other words, one of the illustrations that I use over and over, especially in the counseling room, is that you are a relational being. I am a relational being. We live in relationship, and that is one way that we reflect God. God is introduced to us in Genesis chapter 1 as us, Trinity, God one in three, and God is there, Jesus is there at creation, John 1 tells us, and so there's a trinity, there's a relationship among the trinity that is our one God, and he's made us relational. Adam and Eve, the first human beings though, did not trust God enough to obey him, and so they disobeyed God, they rebelled against God's commands, and there were consequences, death entered in as a consequence of sin, spiritual death immediately, physical death imminently. In other words, everyone that's born on this earth is a, a, a result, is a child of Adam and Eve, and as a result of the sin of our first mother and father, you and I have inherited the sin nature. We have what the Bible uh, refers to or, or leads us to understand as original sin. In Adam all die. And so we know death is inevitable. That's a result of sin. So from the very beginning, you and I have been asking, Adam was asking, how can we overcome death? Not only death, but spiritual death means that there is a, a, a distance, a brokenness in our relationship with God. You read Genesis 1, God was walking with His people. He would come down with Adam and Eve and walk in the garden, which was His habit with them. After sin and their spiritual death, God kicked them out of the garden. So there's another question that has always been answered. First, will we ever be able to overcome death? Second, will we ever be able to relate to God rightly? Will we ever live in right relationship with the one who created us? Again, is that possible? You know that there in Genesis 3, God gives us hope. There is one who is coming that would crush the head of Satan that would then redeem, restore mankind. And so we begin a journey through this book of the Pentateuch, through your Bible, asking how will that occur? There's almost an anticipation with every new narrative, with every new turn in the story. Could this be the one? Seth or Cain and Abel are born, not the one. Seth is born, not the one. And his son is born, and his son is born. All the way, we, we get glimpses of hope like Enoch. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. Maybe there's a chance for us to overcome death. Until we come to a time where God sees the wickedness of the earth and He destroys all that is minus one family, Noah. And God says through this family, I'll populate the earth again because Noah found favor with God. God put His grace upon Noah. From Noah, things didn't get much better. And so the world began to be pagan and worship other gods just like Adam and Eve had. And God chose one man, one family, and said through this man, through this family, I will bring the promised one. I will bring redemption. And so you know that man is Abraham, the father of Israel, the father of the Hebrew nation. And so by Genesis 12, we are focused from all of creation down to one family. And so we come to Abraham and his family and we see God is going to bless Abraham and make his name great and give him land and give him life and through him give blessing to all people. And so we are looking, how is that going to come? And so we see Abraham's descendants begin to grow. And then there's famine on the earth. And Abraham's family goes to Egypt. And God redeems, or excuse me, God uh, um, 
uh, uh, provides for them there and sustains his people when they go to Egypt. He gives them favor there. They grow to be a great people in Egypt. And then the Egyptians got really scared because they were growing in such numbers, they put them in bondage. 400 years, the people of God stayed in bondage in Egypt. And after 400 years, they began to cry out to God, God, deliver us. The slavery is too much. The bondage is too much. Would you remember your promise to Abraham and take us to the promised land? And God heard their prayer and God raised up a leader, Moses, to bring them out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, to deliver them and take them to the promised land. You and I are in the midst of that time. God in Exodus has delivered the people of Egypt, or excuse me, the people of Israel from Egypt, and they are on their way to the promised land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. We've been there since the book of Exodus. If you remember, we were there when the people came out and Pharaoh decided to chase them and they came to the Red Sea and God parted the sea and the people of God walked through on dry land and God let the sea go and it drowned all of Pharaoh's army. They've seen that. They saw the plagues in Egypt where God would make uh, incredible destruction so that the Egyptians would let his people go. They were there at the first Passover when they saw God give them a promise. You slaughter a lamb and know that I'm giving you a way that this will be atonement for you. Put the blood on the doorpost of your home and when the death angel comes, when the judgment of God comes to claim the firstborn that belong to God, I will pass over you. And you will not be affected by the judgment of death. They had seen this. They had seen God provide. They had seen God at the mountain. When they came to the bottom of Mount Sinai, the people of God had seen the the overwhelming power of the presence of God descend on a mountain. So much so that they said, Moses, we're not going to go meet with God. You go meet with Him on our behalf and come back and talk to us. Tell us what God says. And so God began to speak to Moses. And while Moses was there, the people of God, after seeing everything that we've already said, after seeing that these people, it's not a different generation, it's the same people that saw God miraculously work within just a short period of time of being freed from bondage and the miraculous works of our God began to worship a different God. They took all the gold that God had given them favor with the Egyptians to take from them and they put it together and they made this golden calf and they said, this is our God. We're going to worship this, something we made with our hands. How foolish we look back and say, how foolish would they be? And yet we fall to the same kinds of things. They turned so quickly. God brought judgment. This generation that we see in Numbers saw the judgment of God come when He comes down and He will kill many of them because they are not on the Lord's side. They've seen the wrath of God. They've seen the miraculous works of God to deliver them. And here we come to a time where God then said in Leviticus and Exodus, I want to meet with you. And the way that I'm going to meet with you is not face to face. I'm going to bring my presence down through a tabernacle. And so you're going to worship in this tabernacle. And he gives them all, got to be this long, this high, this wide. These things have to be in it. So he he gives them the gift of saying, I'll meet with you here as you come to worship. They, this generation has seen all of these things. And the Bible teaches us here in chapter 1, verse 1 of Numbers, this is the first day of the second month in the second year 
after they had come out of the land of Egypt. You know that they're getting ready to spend 40 years in the wilderness because you know the story of the Bible. But they're not far from Egypt. They're not far from being delivered from bondage. And we're going to get to pick up the story. If I could say the purpose of the book of Numbers, I would tell you it is simply this. God has taken His people into the wilderness between Egypt and the promised land. And He's going to prepare them to go into the promised land. It's not going to be too long in the book of Numbers that we're going to see them travel and get to the edge of the promised land. And God's going to say, I've given it to you. And they won't trust God. And so they'll spend 38 years in the wilderness. A whole generation will die. And the point of the book of Numbers is this generation will not trust God and so they will not enter the promised land. The question of the book of Numbers is will the second generation trust God? When we end the book of Numbers, they're still not in the promised land. So we really don't cover much time. In the beginning, we cover a couple of weeks. Then there are 38 years in the wilderness that we don't hit much of. And then we see them on the plains of Moab as they're looking again at the promised land. And we'll see the responses and some of the sin and some of the rebellion that's there. And they still are asking the question, will this second generation actually trust God enough to go into the promised land? The land that God has said, this is yours. I have given it to you. Take your inheritance. I have brought you to it. Will they trust? The question for us today is the same, is it not, church? Will you trust the Lord? If you look at the book of Numbers, we have in Exodus, redemption, restoration, accomplished. God delivered them. When we get to the book of Joshua, we have conquering and entering into the promised land. And here in Numbers, we are between redemption and the promise fulfilled. Church, in a lot of ways, I bring us to the book of Numbers so that you and I can understand and identify with these people because redemption has been accomplished for you, but you are not yet in the promised land. We are going to identify with these very people because we, we are there. The name of the book in Hebrew, as you see on your paper, uh, is just the first few words of the book, in the wilderness. This is where the people are. In some of your translations, it may actually say, in the desert. They are going to be in the desert between Egypt and the promised land of Israel. And they're going to spend some time there in the wilderness. I would like to say to you, you're going to hear me say over the next 20 weeks, you and I are like the people of God. We are in the wilderness between redemption accomplished and promises completely fulfilled. And so let's identify with these people as we go through this book. I do want to note for you a couple of things just in passing so that you can get an, a feel for the book. The book that we call Numbers, I've already mentioned the Hebrew title. The reason we call it Numbers uh, essentially is because there are two major censuses found in the book. There's one at the beginning. We just read a little bit about it. and We're going to talk about it in a minute. There's one at the end. And as they get ready to go in, God is going to number list the people. And so in the... Uh, Latin translation of the Old Testament, they would just call this book uh, Arithmeti, Numbers. And so we pick it up from the Greek and call it uh, Numbers here in our English Bibles. I want you to know that the book is a little troubling or a little troublesome as far as placing it in the Pentateuch. Uh, sometimes we're going to read chapters beside each other that you'll say, how do those go together? Scholars for thousands of years now 
have wondered, how do those chapters go together? And so we're going to make sense of what God is saying. There are times when we'll come to a a part in the book of Numbers that I'll say, now this doesn't go chronologically. The book of Numbers is not like the book of Exodus. It was pretty much chronological writing through. We're going to get to chapter 1, and you're in the first day of the second month, when we get in of of the first year, excuse me, the second year. When you get into chapter 7, you're going to be in the first day of the first month of the second year. So you're going to be talking in chapter 7 about something that happened a month ago from 1-1. And so it's not written for us chronologically. So we begin to ask, what is the purpose of the ordering of the book? And we'll ask that question throughout. And I believe the purpose of the ordering is going to give us some sense of what Moses is writing to us and to his people. As we would think, Moses is writing a book. At the end of Numbers, we're going to see where God commands him. Write down all of this journey. And Moses has done so for the instruction. Now I want to take you to the book of 1 Corinthians, not physically, but in your mind for a moment because Paul is going to reference Exodus and Numbers, specifically Numbers chapter 11 for us in 1 Corinthians, and he's going to tell us these things were written down for two reasons. As an example for us, You've already heard me say, we are going to identify with them. We are living in the wilderness between redemption accomplished and redemption uh, uh, fulfilled, promises fulfilled. Paul says these things were written down as an example for them. Moses was writing it for an example of the people of God and for our instruction. And so for those of you who are thinking, why are we going through numbers? Aren't these people old and dead and aren't we Christians? And they were uh, Old Testament Hebrews, isn't this... This is for our instruction in the New Testament. So we're going to look at it and we're going to read through it and study it as a people of God looking for what would God instruct us in our lives today in the 21st century about how we are going to walk in this wilderness between redemption accomplished and promises fulfilled. So let's look together if we can. I give you a a brief outline. I'm not going to Uh, Go through that. So just turn your paper over and let's walk through four different passages in these first four chapters and look at how we can apply them. Now, I'm not going to take four chapters every clip, but I didn't know where to stop this first one. All right, so we're not going to walk through every verse of every chapter. You and I both would get bored. You would fall asleep and I'd quit and get tired hearing myself talk uh, eventually. So let's walk through these four application parts of these first four chapters and then we're going to slow down a bit uh, as we get into the book and get into more narrative so that we can ask what is it that God is going to teach us all right so let me go through it with you the first one I want to go back to chapter one it's where brother Glenn just read for us I want to pull something out here we start here with the Bible telling us they're in the wilderness of Sinai we've already mentioned that I want you to note a phrase verse one Chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses. If you will read through the book with me as we're going to preach through this, if you'll just uh, saturate yourself with the words of the book of Numbers, you're going to read over and over, the Lord spoke to Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses. That is a phrase that occurs throughout this book, and it is one of the major themes of the book. God is revealing Himself to His people, not face-to-face, We saw that at Exodus, that God's not going to do that. He's revealing Himself through Moses, through Aaron and the priesthood. And so He's speaking to Moses to speak to the people. The Lord spoke to Moses. This is what we saw when Moses comes down off of the mountain and speaks to the people. They say, Moses, you go talk to God and tell us what He said. And so Moses does, and we see that in the book of Numbers. It's what is going 
to occur here. So I want to walk us through what the Bible says. Verse 2, take a census. Here's what God says. Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of the names, every male, head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all Israel who are able to go to war. And church, I want to make simple application here. The book of Numbers in a real way is God preparing His people to go into the promised land. You know, if you know the story of the Bible, they don't just walk into the promised land and everything is like, oh, so God promised you all that you could have our land. God promised to Abraham that this was yours. Oh, okay, here, then, then take it. They don't get into the promised land like that. They get into the promised land prepared to do battle, prepared to stand for the Lord, and the Lord say, I will give you the land. And the people say, we're going to follow and trust God because He's given us the land. And so the first census of the book of Numbers, it's God saying, Moses, I want you to list all of those who are able to go to war because I want you to know what I'm going to do in the land of Israel. I'm going to take you and bring you in and we're going to conquer the land that I promised Abraham. I've given it to him as his inheritance and I'm going to take you in to what I've promised. The book of Numbers is all about the land. For us, we make a new an application of the land for us is not physical land on this earth. The land for us is a new heaven and a new earth. And when God came to give us the new heaven and the new earth, it didn't come without a cost. It didn't come without a cosmic battle. And our Savior went to war for us. And just as the people of Israel are going to go to war to accomplish, to, to conquer the land that God has given them, that He has promised them, you and I now, following after Christ, as those of us who are in Christ, as Paul will say, calls us warriors for Christ. When I was a teenager, I was in a youth group that was quite large. And every year in November, it was the second weekend of November, every year was my favorite weekend of our youth group. Even after I was in the youth group, the youth group continued to do a Warriors for Christ weekend every fall in the second week of November. Now, it was significant for me for quite a few reasons. Number one, I broke my foot playing football at one of them. So that was a real remember, uh, memorable year. Number two, even after I was in the, out of the um, youth group, uh, it is when I saw Jenny again. Uh, at, she was working at a Warriors for Christ retreat or a singles retreat, and I was doing the, the Warriors for Christ retreat. I'd come back, so saw her again. That kind of sparked a uh, friendship that led to, the, to our marriage again. So praise the Lord. But it was significant because we had men that would stand before us as teenagers and say, God doesn't need any wimps following after him and fighting in the kingdom. If you're going to be a pansy, don't come after Jesus because he doesn't need any more Mickey Mouse Christians. He needs warriors. And it really stood out to me as a young man that if I'm going to follow after Christ, I, I'm going to have enemies. And they're not flesh and blood, Paul says, right? So I'm not talking about the enemies. I'm not going to make enemies of all of these people. Our enemies are the principalities, the powers of darkness. There's a real spiritual battle going on in the New Testament world for you and for me. There's a spiritual battle going on for our world, for our nation, for the nations right now. And you and I have been called to be warriors. 
numbers as a matter of introduction here. I want you to know that God is starting saying, Moses, number all of those who can go to war because I'm getting ready to prepare you to go to war, to give you the promised land. Church, following after Christ is not something that you can do sitting for 30 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning and say, well, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ, aren't you? Following after Christ takes every ounce of preparation, of thought, of your physical life, of your emotional life, of your uh, psychological life to prepare you to say, I am going to do battle for my king because his kingdom is going to be forever. I don't have to worry about who's going to win and who's going to lose. That's already been decided. He's already accomplished redemption. God has already shown the people, I can take you out of slavery. I can certainly give you this land. He has shown you, I can forgive your sins. I can certainly take you into eternity and give you forever. In a kingdom, I can easily make a new heaven and a new earth where there is no sin, there is no sorrow, there is no sickness. And I'm doing it. I've already declared it. Now I want you to take it. God has taken you out of the kingdom of darkness, put you into the kingdom of light, and said, now be a warrior for the light. Church, I want to challenge you this morning to have a perspective in your walk with Christ that you would prepare to go to war. For your king. Now let me just ask this very briefly. How have you warred for the king this week? What battles are going on? Perhaps some of you would say. There are battles in my heart. There's real spiritual battle going in my heart. To serve God or not serve God. To do this or not do this. To be drawn away or not. To speak up at work or not speak up. To uh, be a witness when I am uh, in the marketplace. Or not be a witness. To read good works of uh, discipleship or read other things. There are spiritual battles going on in you, but there are spiritual battles going on in your family, in your jobs, your neighborhood. I believe that we live in neighborhoods where there are real spiritual battles where people are in bondage and you can go and say, I once was lost, I once was blind, I once was a leper, I once was in bondage to that same addiction and God delivered me. And now I'm being a warrior for Him. I am advancing His kingdom to the darkness. Would you hear the call of numbers, and in the wilderness that we live in between the times, become a warrior for our great God. Secondly, let's move. Go with me to chapter 3. By the way, I put this, I don't know if I actually put this in your notes, but I want you to see before we get there. Chapter 1, verse 54. Chapter 1, verse 54. Moses was told to do some things to number them. Thus did the people of Israel. They did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter 2, verse 34. Thus did the people of Israel according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they set out, each one in his clan according to his father's house. So chapter 1 is number the 12 tribes. Chapter 2 is all of the 12 tribes are going to camp like this. When we move from where we are to the promised land, you're going to be sojourners for a while, and so I want you to camp. Some you on the north, some of you on the east, some of you on the west, some of you on the south. I want you to camp around the central part of the 
tabernacle, and that's going to be the center of what we do. So you guys camp around it. So God said it. Moses told the people. They did it. Praise the Lord. They're ready to obey, as it seems in chapters 1 and 2. Verse chapter 3, go down with me to verse 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over all the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. I read all the way to verse 10 because I wanted, to sh- I wanted you to hear how serious God is about the holy things of God. Now, we don't come to a tabernacle where God has told us, I'm going to meet with you over this mercy seat. I'm going to meet with you in these candlesticks and this light. We come to a sanctuary and you are the temple. You are the ones through whom God comes into this presence and meets with us. We no longer go to a temple to meet with God. God indwells us. He's given us His Spirit. So there's a lot here that we would read about the tabernacle that we say, we don't go there, Pastor, but we can bring application to what He's saying because just as the priests were to guard the things of God so seriously that if anybody were to come near, they were to be put to death because these are such holy things you and I should make, make priority of the things of God in our temple, which is our body, and we should and we'll learn in this book how we should have guard over the things of God in our lives, in our church. Church, we're going to read here in chapter 3, or you're going to read as you read through it, that those who kept guard over the sanctuary... Anyone outsider that would come near, they were to be put to death. But even the priests, even the sons of Levi, when they would not do their job and were to look on holy things, in chapter 4, you'll read, if they even look on the holy things, they are to be put to death. God takes His holiness, that is His set-apartness, seriously. So here's the application I want to bring to us. The things of God are primary Why is it that the major lie of Satan is to get you and I to make the things of God secondary or tertiary? In other words, they're not priority in us. And I realize I'm preaching to those who showed up on Sunday morning. But I also know that you and I live in a culture where if anything else comes up, we don't go and meet with the people of God. We don't guard this. If I can go anywhere else, man, I, I, you know, just waiting for a better call. Had a friend this week that was in in town on campus, and he was going to come over Wednesday, uh, Thursday night for dinner. And I told him on Tuesday, I said, I'm not going to tell you his name. We'll call him Bob. I said, Bob, I know you. If anybody gives you a better offer between now and Thursday, you're going to take it. And I said, but I, you're welcome to come to my house for dinner on Thursday. And I'd love to fellowship with you. Sure enough, Thursday afternoon, he texts me. He's like, look, my class wants to do this. I'm going to do it with him. And I, I called it. You got a better offer. There are a lot of us that we don't put priority on certain things. Do you know that every moment of every day and every decision you make and every conversation you have, you're putting priority on something in your life? God says, set aside the Levites. He didn't count them in chapters 1 and 2. He counts them twice in chapters 3 and 4, and he says, these guys are mine. They're going to serve in the temple, in the tabernacle, and I want them to guard the things of God as a priest 
First Peter chapter 2, as a, a priesthood here, as those who are indwelled by the Spirit of God, let me encourage you, let me challenge you, let me admonish you, make the things of God, the holy things of God, a priority. What do you mean, Pastor? I do mean coming together as a body of Christ. I do mean us fellowship. I mean discipleship. How are you actively taking a part in your own discipleship right now? Is that a priority to you? Or is it something you say, well, I'd like to do it. Sunday school's got that. I, I don't need to deal with it. I'll be in Sunday school preaching and that's good enough. You know, if any one of you told me, why well, eat twice on Sunday? That's enough for the week. We would all think you're crazy. How are you doing with the things of God in your own discipleship? How are you doing discipling others? Have you made the things of God? What about your business? What about being a man or woman of integrity in your job? What about what you tell your kids? What about what you tell each other? What about how we live? Have we made the things of God and holiness a priority? He says to these men of, the, of Levi, he counts them, he says, they're mine. I want them to guard the things of God. Would you guard your time with the Word? How many of us let our prayer time shrink because somebody makes a phone call or the alarm clock needs to be hit snooze one more time and we don't read the Word and we go to sleep and we think, man, now I'm late. I can't, I don't have time. Would you guard that? What do you guard in your life? Might be the better question, right? What is your priority? What do you guard? Let's read those things. Let me move on. Thirdly, I want you to keep reading in verse 11 because it's going to set up the rest of chapter 3 and much of chapter 4. The Lord spoke to Moses. There's that phrase again. Chapter 3, verse 11. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn of Israel, both man and beast, they shall be mine. I am the Lord. Numbers here in the very beginning teaches us about substitutionary redemption. The firstborn belonged to God. From the time you read it there of the land of Egypt, when God said, I'm going to kill all the firstborn because they belong to me and they are not holy. They're not living for me. They're worshiping pagan gods, and so I'm going to send the death angel. I'm going to take all the firstborn who are not serving me. Now, if you are serving me, put the blood on the doorpost. I'll pass over you. This is the whole Passover. This is the whole uh, uh, tenth plague of Egypt. Here, God is going to teach them about substitutionary redemption. He says, okay, all of the firstborn of Israel belong to me. If you'll number with me, go down to verse 39 of that same chapter, you'll see that there are 22,000. I'm sorry, go down to verse 43. Um, no, verse 42 is right. There are 22,000 firstborn in the Levites. 22,000 firstborns of the Levites. God says, um, I'm sorry, there are 22,000 Levites. I don't know why I'm messing this up. 22,000 Levites. God says, I'm going to exchange all of the firstborn in Israel for all of the Levites. Go down to verse uh, 43. There are 22,273 firstborns in Israel. So go back to your first list. There were 603,550 people. Now of those 22,273 were firstborns. God says, because I am God, I have declared when I delivered you from Egypt that every firstborn belongs to me, but I'm not going to take them into the temple. I'm going to take the whole tribe of Levi for them. I'm going to exchange. I'm going to substitute this tribe 
By the way, why the Levites, they came to the aid of Moses at the bottom of Mount Sinai when God was bringing punishment. He said, those that are on the Lord's side, come to me, Moses said. Who came? The Levites. And so God has a special task for the Levites. They're going to serve the temple. So God says, I'm going to substitute the tribe of Levi for all of the firstborn in Israel. I want you to see something here. He's teaching them about substitutionary redemption. I'm going to redeem all of the firstborn. You will have your life because the Levites now belong to me and they're going to serve me. Substitutionary redemption. I hope that you're looking forward to Christ and the substitutionary redemption he's already putting in here. But not only that, I want to make one point. We'll move on. Notice that there's 273 different. God doesn't just round Numbers. Every single one is important. He says, so here's what you're going to do. There are 273 people that's not for life. 22,000 people, one Levite for one firstborn in the nation of Israel. And I'll exchange them life for life. But there are 273 that you're going to have to pay a redemption price for. And so he says, here's the redemption price. And the people of Israel have to come and pay it as a redemption price of every soul. Church, there is no one person. This is particular in God's salvation. He doesn't just say, I'm going to save all. He cares about you. Your life. You don't just hide in a group of people of the church and you're there because you're in a group. God knows every one. He knows every head on every one of our heads. Our, and every hair on every one of our heads. He knows everything about you. His redemption is personal and it's particular. It doesn't just overlook you. It is for you. Jesus trades his life for each individual person that by faith repents and has come to him to say, I surrender, I'm yours. Jesus says in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives to me will come, every one. Jesus is not going to leave out one that the Father's not given to him. And so, it's personal. Don't think that God has just overlooked you. His Spirit will call you. If you hear the Word, Paul says, if you hear the Gospel today, respond. Come to Christ. He has given you this substitutionary redemption. Come to Him. And so, that's our language. You don't just... You know, we, we reason we share the gospel individually is we don't just do this in, in mass. We do it with each person. You must respond to Christ. You're not in because your family's in. You're in because you have responded to Christ. So come to Him. Come to Him. Fourth thing. Very quickly, chapter 4. Chapter 4. This is, um, this is related. But out of the Levites... In chapter 4, he says, now take another census of these very same Levites. There are 22,000 of them. Take a census of them, and I want you to see that there there are certain ones of of Kohath, of Gershon, and of Merari. I want them to do certain tasks. So why don't you, he, he numbers them. He says, I want you to take every one, every man that can minister in the temple between the age of 30 and 50, and I want you to number them. So we've numbered all of them. Now we're going to number those between 30 and 50, and they're going to give their prime to the Lord. And so go down with me, if you will, to the end of chapter 4, 
And God has said from everyone that's from 30 to 30 years old to 50 years old, they are to do some things for me. And I want you to look at verse 49. They do two things. According to the commandment of the Lord, through Moses, they were listed. That's all the sons of Kohath, of uh, Gershon and Merari. They were listed. Each one with his task of, look at this, serving or carrying. Thus they were listed by him as the Lord commanded Moses. I end with this. Some, read through it. You go back and read chapter, chapter 4. Here's what you're going to find. The sons of Kohath, you're responsible for these candlesticks and for this table. Carry them. Every time we go out, you come and get them and carry them. Some of you have to carry the curtains. Some of you have to carry every piece of this tabernacle. Some of you, your goal is not to carry. You are to serve. And so whether you're carrying or serving, you belong to the Lord, and you're to carry or serve for His glory. And so verse 49, a beautiful verse in this text says, According to the commandment of the Lord, through Moses, they were listed, each one with his task of serving or carrying. I want to ask you today, as you think about how God's gifted you, where he's placed you in this body, you are here in the wilderness as a part of the body of Christ on the way to the promised land to serve and carry. So I want to remind you, you do not belong here. This is not your country of ultimate destination. We will not be here forever. We are living for a nation, a kingdom that is to come. It doesn't matter who you are in here. If you've come to Christ, you're living for a nation that will be forever. And it will be forever light and forever serving and worshiping and enjoying all of our God and all of His new creation. If you're in the kingdom of darkness, then you're living for a kingdom that will be forever torment and separation from God and darkness, and just hell. God says, those of you who are preparing for the kingdom of light, in the wilderness, on the way, I have a task for you. I have a task for you. I want to ask you, would you be faithful in doing it? The Gershonites, the Kohathites, they were faithful. If it's just to carry the candlestick, every time we leave, I'll carry the candlestick. If it's to minister in the temple and serve those who are coming in, then every time they come in, I'll minister and I'll serve. How's God called you? How's He gifted you? What are you carrying? What are you serving? Jesus will pick this up and Paul will pick this up in Galatians chapter, chapter 6 verse 1 and say, you have a, a burden, you have a load to carry. Let each one carry his own load. So what God has given you to carry in our church, then carry it. If God's called you to serve, then, then serve as part of the body. And we'll live together in this wilderness as we prepare for the coming promised land. Stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's spend a few moments in prayer to be with us and to speak to us. I've given you four clear points of application. Prepare for battle. Make the things of God primary in your life. Trust in Jesus as the substitute for your redemption and serve and carry. What's God challenging you with today? What's He pushing you with? Would you take these moments just to ask God to speak to your heart and your life? And What is it that you would need to change or do or start or stop to do these things in the wilderness on our way 
to the promised land.